Hello, I'm Edgar, head of the international department at Liangma Law Firm. We have a hundred lawyers and several branches in Guangdong province. We are here to take care of all of your legal problems in China. You name it, we'll solve it. Hi, I'm Gary, and I'm back here today with Edgar to fix an issue that we're having. He previously helped us with a HR problem and legally represented us, which worked out perfectly for everybody. Edgar was originally highly recommended to us by a good friend. So based on our previous experience with Edgar, my partner and I have decided to hire him again to assist with a financial disagreement that we're having with a local company. As usual, his advice and guidance has been amazing. We're already feeling confident that he will be able to resolve his issue quickly with a win-win for everybody. With Edgar, it's easy. He's Chinese with perfect English language and with an amazing understanding of Western culture. You always win when you choose Edgar. Contact me anytime for your free legal consultation. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. everyone, Craig here. Welcome to another edition of the podcast, Tell Craig Your Story. I'm super excited to be back doing the podcast after having two and a half months off back in Australia. It was so great to see family and friends again to catch up, but I'm happy to be back doing some podcasts. We're going to have some great podcasts. We've got some interesting uh, people coming on in the next couple of weeks that you'll be really excited about. Today we'll be speaking to Edgar Choi. Now he has his law firm Law in a Minute. Now Edgar is getting quite popular with the foreign community here in China and he does cases in commercial and labor law. Now Edgar grew up in Hong Kong but now resides in Shenzhen, China. He graduated from Fudan University Law School and he's been the author of the Intellectual Property Commercial Company and Economic Law in a Minute. And he's also the co-author of Peking University Textbook in Business Ethics. As we were talking to Edgar, he told us that he's going to be releasing a third book, which will be coming out at the end of the year. Now, Edgar talks about some of his cases that he's had over the last couple of years with his business, Law in a Minute. And you also heard the advertisement that you can find on Facebook. But before we go, please go to our website. We are at Podbean for another season. Tell Craig your story at podbean.com. We have a link tree there. We are on all the major streaming services. All you have to do is go to at Tell Craig your story.
We have all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so make sure you give us a like and give us a comment if you like one of the episodes. We also have VK for our Russian listeners and WeChat for our Chinese listeners. All right, here we go. This is my chat with Edgar Choi on Tell Craig Your Story podcast. Hi, Edgar. How are you doing today? Hey, how are you doing, buddy? I'm perfect. <laughs> That's good to hear. Thank you very much for your time. You just told me that you had like 20,000 contacts on WeChat, so uh, I guess you're a busy, busy boy, right? Thanks. Yeah, it is indeed a booming business. The booming business. Is really good. Yeah, it's a booming business. But it's coming off now. I mean, you've, you've just bought a new car, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first, I just want to ask a bit of re- a review for 2022. What are some of the highlights? Also, talk to me about uh, the lockdowns here in Shanghai. Oh, and in Shenzhen as well. Yeah. So we actually had like a a week and a nearly two weeks of lockdown in Shenzhen, um, pretty much just, um, before it happened in Shanghai. So I think the Shanghai lockdown happened in April, right? Ours happened in March. I remember because it happened just before my birthday. So, <laughs> right. It started with a few communities being locked down, and the whole of Shenzhen was locked down for a week. But it was okay. It was, it's a bit different from Shanghai because in Shanghai, I have like lots of alumni in Shanghai from my alma mater, and they have told me that they were having trouble buying food, groceries. They had to buy like a ton of beef and, you know, cook his own steak like every day and the refrigerator <laughs> just couldn't, couldn't yeah. stuff it in the refrigerator more. So <laughs> that was the problem that they had. But in Shenzhen, it was okay. Um, the, the delivery guys could still um, scoot around and send us our food. And we could still buy, you know, um, uncooked food online, fresh food, fresh tomatoes, potatoes, um vegetables, meats, we could buy that all online. It's not a big problem in Shenzhen. And where I didn't really feel like cooking, I could just order it online, you know, delivery. Yeah, so not a big issue in Shenzhen. I just took my computer home because my compound was actually locked down around two days before the actual lockdown, Shenzhen-wide lockdown happened. So um, I had my secretary send me my laptop and boom, I set it up. And I was ready for the 10-day lockdown. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so, so did it did it affect your business in any way, or were you still able to? Yeah, it actually like did. It, a lot of cases got cancelled because right. um, I I had a lot of cases in Shanghai, Ningbo, Hangzhou, you know, Suzhou places, you know, in Jiangsu province and in um, Zhejiang province in Shanghai, and all of those got cancelled. So right. the clients were not happy. Well, I wasn't happy either. Because I wanted to get the cases like over with and get them like um, get them to justice ASAP, right? Justice. Uh, well, I couldn't. My team couldn't leave Shenzhen to defend them in their city. And right after okay. I got released, that happened in the Delta area. So, so a, a few of the cases, like five of them, were postponed for two months. So that was pretty bad. In fact, yeah. But then once it opened up, you would have been flooded with all these uh, things about work compensation, like what money are you allowed to have during this time? And, and it even affected me. And I didn't know 
what I was supposed to do. So, like, were you getting like lots of like foreign people, foreign teachers, and just businesses in general asking what's going on, like with their salaries? There are just so many victims of this. You know, yeah. one two month lockdown. Actually, it's not one month lockdown. It was a two month lockdown. I've had um, both employees and employers complain to me. So let's first talk about the employers, right? So the employees have to still pay their rent in full. So yeah. that's going to be a problem. Their rent is a huge, you know, expense of any running business. So they, um, we had these rent issues and landlord dispute issues. And then we had the employees. Um, they didn't get paid in full because, um, like, for the, they didn't get paid at all, in fact, because the accountant wasn't at the office and the bank, I mean, the... The, the lockdown was just so abrupt that um, the person in charge of the bank token just wasn't at the office. So nobody could really press the buttons and give them the salary. So the poor guys in Shanghai had to go without um, any money for two months. And that yeah. is terrible, man. Yeah. 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 Exactly. didn't get paid for two months. Yeah. So I, I was here for uh, almost a month and then I decided that, there was no sort of, okay, we're going to open up in this month or this week or this day. So I ended up going back home to Australia to sort of uh, see, see family. Yeah, yeah. So, But my school has come back now, so, yeah, uh, ready to work. But, like, still doing tests, like, every day. Is that happening in Shenzhen as well, where you have to have, like, 72-hour PCR tests? Oh, you must be joking 72, we've got 24 right here. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. Like, every day, like, if I don't get the test, my I, don't, I can't go to my office. I can't enter my compound. Yeah, actually, yesterday I had a small quarrel with my, well, not my, my security guard. I was visiting a friend's community, and it was a Saturday, and on Saturday I didn't get my COVID test, right? I didn't get my COVID test on Friday, so I had, like, 48 hours on Saturday, so... The security guard wouldn't let me in, so I had an argument with him. I was, I told him, I said, so the hospital, even the hospital, because I visited the dentist um, um, a week ago, and I said, even visiting the hospital only requires a 48-hour PCR test. So what kind of compound are you running? That needs a 24. <laughs> even the hospital only needs 48. So explain to me, like, which law can you quote to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, talk to me. Yeah, challenge me. me. Challenge me. Yeah. Yeah, even the <laughs> hospital only needs 48 hours. So, based yeah. on what can you ask me for 24 hours? Explain to me. Yeah, yeah then yeah, you let me in. <laughs> but but I, I suppose you sort of get used to it. I mean, like when I when I went back to Australia, I was always like wearing my mask and uh, you know washing my hands all the time. And my dad said, "What are you doing, son?" Don't you know to wear your mask anymore? That, that's so 2020. <laughs> so, yeah, Australia and uh, US. I know, like the UK, has sort of got on with sort of their lives and just treating it now as a as a flu. So I, re- I really hope that that can happen here in the in the short sort of distance. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, like at the start of the year, but for for you and your business, uh, what are some of the highlights for you so far? Well, to be honest, COVID has pretty has affected my business pretty much. So since well, the worst was the worst year was 2020, obviously. So right. um, as my focus is mainly expats um, in China or 
out of China. So obviously, um, expats were banned from entering China like in 2020. It was extremely hard to get into China. PU letter was needed and it was extremely hard to get that. Yes. Chinese vaccine, PU letter, this and that and that, the list just goes on. So it was extremely difficult for foreigners to enter China. And a lot of them didn't want to get into China because of the three-week quarantine, right? Yeah. Not many people can survive three weeks in jail, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, although it's a cozy jail. <laughs> but, yeah, 2020 was a terrible year. But um, thankfully, um, I switched from um, focusing on corporate law and more onto labor law. And that has sustained my business until now. And actually, I've gained a little bit of fame um, in the labor law sector, especially among um, teachers in China. So I'm now the to-go guy for English teachers in China. And, well, the business, I switched my focus from um, 90% corporate law to 20% right now and 80% employment law instead. And that has kept the business growing. And actually, I've hired two new lawyers and this year as well. Because oh, of great. Cases, I, I just can't do all of them right now. Yes. So I hire new lawyers to um, fly to different provinces and actually take the cases. So, well, business has been good um, in 2022 and um, the and 2021 as well. So, But, of course, it will be even better when the borders reopen and I can go back to my main focus of corporate law. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. So uh, are you finding that a lot of the teachers are coming to you? Like, like, what's like the main issue? Is it is it obviously money? Is mm. it being in quarantine? Is it, what are some of the main main issues like uh, with the foreign foreign teachers in China? So the first main issue is that so we all know that it's pretty hard to get teachers into China right now. Mm. There's the quarantine. There's the um, visa issues. So. Once the teacher comes to China and starts teaching in the school and maybe he wants to leave, right? And the school thinks that, well, hey, hey, looky, looky here. I spent so much effort in getting you into China. So we're going to sign a contract that says if you leave before the end of your contract, you're going to have to pay me at least two months of your salary because that's the amount of I spent so much time and effort getting you into China, right? So from the employer's side, they want the teachers to pay a huge amount of penalty if they want to resign. But to be honest, this is a free market. China's a free market and employees should have the freedom to choose whatever employer pays them more. So if school A only pays 15,000 and there's another school that is willing to pay 25,000, of course I would choose the better yeah. option, right? Yes. Obviously. And, or maybe in another scenario would be, um, Maybe the school is situated in the countryside and, you know, um, there's not much Western culture in some small places in China. And yes. they come to China for the first time after three months, Chinese food, Chinese food, Chinese food. <laughs> Nobody speaks English in the village. Yes. It's time to move to a big city, right? And that's where the problem kicks in. The school says, you're not leaving. We spent so much effort getting you here. So yeah. you're not leaving. If you want to leave, I will not give you your release letter, your cancellation letter. I will not help you transfer to a new employee. If you want to leave, go back to your home country. I'm not helping you in any way possible. But that's illegal. So employers are legally obligated to um, help employees leave the company because this is a right given them, given to them by the law. 
but yes. the employers will make bad use of the um, gray area here that um, like the cancellation letter is needed and they just bully the foreigners in this case. But this doesn't happen to Chinese people. Like, and if I wanted to leave a teaching job, I could just goodbye. I would send you a 30-day resignation letter and bye. I'll pack up my bags and leave and goodbye. But for foreigners, they need the employer's help. They need the letters. And yes. that is where the employers will make a lot of trouble. So that's the first and most often seen issue in China um, regarding labor law. So the second problem is, the second problem would be the firing teachers illegally. So, right. Yeah. So China recognizes, well, obviously Australia is a, where you're from, it's a native English speaking country, right? But China also recognizes countries like South Africa as native English speaking countries. But actually, uh, most of the people in South Africa speak Afrikaans or yes. well, Portuguese or maybe some old Dutch. Right? But they still recognize South Africa as a native English speaking country. And maybe sometimes when a teacher comes to China, they may not like their accent and parents complain because it has this Dutch accent in it. And parents complain and the teachers are fired because of their accent. So. Yeah, that's that's also another issue that I've seen, and it's actually pretty difficult to fire an employee in China. You gotta, yeah, you, the employee has to really make some like not going to work for a week straight, maybe um, slapping the students, you know, very yes, yes. behavior, S- something yeah. extreme, yeah, yeah, just bad accent. I mean, there's no there's no standard for how good an accent is, okay? Right. That is obviously not a valid reason to fire a teacher. And, yeah. But that is also um, an issue that employees um, face in China. And there's also a third issue that they may face in China, which is the um, getting the residence permits. So before 2021, <laughs> yes. um, the government was handing out state permits like candy. Oh, you can't return to your home country? Here's a 30-day humanitarian visa. Oh, it's up, and you can't find a new job? Here's another one. It's like giving out candy. Here's one for you, here's one for you. Yes. One for you. <laughs> but since around um, half a year to eight months ago, the Chinese government um, um, changed their policy and started, since the double reduction um, policy that, oh, that was a year ago, actually. Yeah, time just flies by. <laughs> yeah. That was in, that was a year ago actually, I just realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not six to eight months. That was a year ago. Okay. Yeah, just time just flies by. <laughs> so a year ago, China had their double reduction policy and started cracking down on training centers and, um, some international schools. Um, well, not international schools. English, t- English, English schools. Okay. So basically they changed their attitude to English teachers 180 degrees. So in the past, um, whatever country you're from, doesn't really matter. You can be from Iran and you can still teach English. You can be from Russia and you can still teach English. But now, sorry, that's not the case here right now. It's much more difficult for a non-native to get a um, 
work permit and a residence permit in China. Yeah. And in the past, if you got caught for um, having the wrong title registered under your resident, I mean, sorry, your work permits, like, because many schools um, register non-natives as non-teaching staff, like general manager, right. um, HR manager, um, administrative officer, so marketing officer, okay, advertisement officer, but actually the real job is teaching English. Right. And now the police is really cracking down on these scenarios and they will perform random checks on training centers and schools and ask to see work permits. And if they do find out that um, the title of the um, the title of the job is different from the actual job, then there will be trouble and fines, detention and getting oh, kicked yeah. out of China. Oh, and yeah. If foreigners... I've had a case of a, a Pakistani Pakistani English teacher, okay? So he got an administrative record in 2008. And the reason was um, going to a... Not so... Uh, going to a shady massage parlor, okay? Oh. I, I think you get what I mean. Yeah, it yeah. was back in 2008. This was all the hype in Dongguan. So he right. got caught. He got caught at a massage parlor. Um, a happy massage parlor, okay? <laughs> yeah. And he had a record um, in his, under his name. It was, that was 14 years ago. And wow. this year, when he applied for his residence permit, he got rejected. Wow. He had his record 14 years ago. Wow. And I've seen many other foreigners getting rejected because they did something bad. Maybe 2015, they got caught and teaching under a student visa or whatever. Mm-hmm. Plus, the government yeah. didn't care. But now, they're cracking down on Yeah. Oh, Edgar, I have so many stories to tell you about that. Like, um, I, I, came, I came around the time where it was less... So, like you said, there were people from Russia, there people from uh, Africa, uh, all different countries coming here, South America, coming in and, and teaching English and... I always remember there was one time there where uh, I was working for an online company, but they also went into the schools, uh, the public schools, to teach uh, English. And I was doing an online class, and then all of a sudden I seen all the teachers just get out and run run out of the building. And it's like, guys, I've got five minutes of class. Wait for me. I'm going to have lunch soon. Anyway, you know, the HR comes into my uh, my building and just goes, hey, the police are coming. You're the only one with a, a proper visa and you need to say this, this, this and this because all the others didn't. They weren't on the proper visa. One of them got caught and the others were just lucky and went back to their own, own country. So, um, yes, I can definitely see. I can understand where they're coming from too. I mean, if... The, the parents, are, uh, they're spending so much money in the schools, private schools, to get the best education for their kids. And, you know, if, you, if you've got like a, a non-native speaker, sometimes you get into some bad habits. But uh, I've known some non-native speakers that are great, great English teachers. Yeah, the, the parents don't want to pay top dollar. To be honest, yeah. a white face. Yeah. And that's the, that was the other thing. I was hiring for teachers. And there was this uh, girl from Chicago. She had a degree in education and she wanted to apply for a job in Suzhou. That's where I was working at the time. And she said, 
I've got these experiences. I've worked in Beijing before. I want to come to Suzhou. And her resume was perfect. Anyway, I, I went to my boss and said, this girl is perfect. She's got experience. She's got a degree in education from Chicago. And she's, and the guy, and my boss said, can I see a photo? And I thought, why? <laughs> yeah. She was African American. And she's, and he just said, Craig, you know, we can't hire her. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so. That's, that's how the market is driven in China. Because, yeah. well, a um, little bit of history here is that, well, China is a new, China is like an, the new rich, the new rich. And, well, as we all know, 40 years ago, China was nothing. And a lot of new wealthy people just appeared in society, right? Thanks to the governments. And, they, they don't, I mean, the parents, they're, they don't really know English that well. But they, what they know, I mean, they don't know how good the accent is. They don't know how good the teaching is. But what they know is that if it's a white face, then he must be good. Because we're learning English here. It's just like if I'm, if I'm going to teach um, Chinese, right, in Australia. So yeah. they'll definitely try and hire a Chinese face to teach yeah. Chinese. Instead of having maybe this Indian guy speaks Chinese better than me. Maybe he grew up in in China, but they're still gonna hire me instead because <laughs> right. the space here this this builds Chinese for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you have you had any cases like that, like where it's been like discrimination about about their like uh, their weight or the the color of their skin? Well, um, I've seen many cases where because I've seen many contracts, right, so. Mm. On average, the white um, teacher always gets paid more than the um, black or mm. um, brown teacher. So yes. this is self-explanatory, basically. It's self-explanatory. Yeah. 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 yeah it's just it's just unfortunate that it should be like uh, like your, your qualification and. Uh, not, not 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 so much on the image, and that's one thing that I really hope that will change in the future. But um, yeah, I want to talk about you now, Edgar. So tell us uh, where you grew up. I actually grew up in yeah, it's still in China. Okay, it's Hong Kong. Oh, Hong Kong, part of China. <laughs> oh, you grew up in yeah, Hong Kong. It's a special administrative region. Well, okay, I'm not gonna go into the history of Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so I grew up in Hong Kong, and I um. I studied until high school. So I studied in a Catholic school, actually. Um, everything was taught in English. And we had teachers from Australia, Ireland, um, New Zealand, well, America. Okay, we had, but mostly um, British, mostly British teachers, because Hong Kong was a British colony back then. So anyways. So we went to a Catholic school and we, even our priest, we called him the father, okay? Yeah, we, we had these assemblies in the morning. It was, we sang hymns, we prayed to God. And after high school, um, in my, let's see, when I was in grade 11, so I, my Chinese teacher, because um, I was the class captain at that time, and my Chinese teacher told me, he said, um, do you know how I got this job being the Chinese teacher at your school? I said, how do you get it? He said, I graduated from Peking University in China. And 
And I, that's why I want this job. Because uh, teachers at my school get paid um, good salary, okay? Because it's a good school. So then I thought to myself, oh, looks like this, um, like, at that time I didn't think of, you know, being a lawyer or whatever. I said, so, like, even if I study in the mainland and come back to China, I mean, come back to Hong Kong, I can get a nice paying teaching job. Because at yeah. first I wanted to be a teacher, actually. Yeah. I, li- I like speaking. So, so he planted a seed into my brain when I was in grade 10. Then grade 11 came and he started promoting, um, because it was time for us to think of our future and, you know, um, think of which university we wanted to go to. So half of my classmates chose the US or the UK or Australia. Um, most of them, yeah. So they all, when we graduate, we're in like different parts of the world right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've got people in Scotland, we've got people in Ireland, we've got people in New Zealand, um, Canada, Australia. But I was the only person um, in my class that chose China. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so yeah, why did I choose China? Because the reasons are pretty simple. So, um, the population in Hong Kong is 8 million, 8 million people. So if I were to qualify as a lawyer in Hong Kong, um, I can only serve 8 million people, right? Yes. But if I qualified in China, the population is 1.4 billion. <laughs> so the market <laughs> is much, much, much bigger. Yes. And well, so actually a bit of more background information on me is that my father is also a lawyer, but he's qualified in um, Hong Kong and the UK. So back when Hong Kong was still a British colony, everybody would study in the UK. Is Hong Kong law and UK law is pretty much the same, okay? Right. So everybody would go to study in the UK and then practice in Hong Kong as a lawyer. But after Hong Kong was returned to um, the PRC, back when I was uh, back in, back maybe around 30 years ago, the GDP of Hong Kong was 20, nearly 25% of the whole of China. Right. So back then it was the obvious choice work in Hong Kong. China's no good, right? 30 years ago. But now, Hong Kong's GDP ranks like number four. It's behind Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen. I think it ranks number four. It's behind these three cities already. So right. obviously, China is the smarter choice yes. right now. Yeah. 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 And was your mum involved in law as well? No, um, she, she works in a... Um, Trading company in Hong Kong, yeah, which right. manufactures toys in China. Yeah. Right. So, so growing up in Hong Kong in, in that time as a kid, was it fun times? Or what memories do you have growing up in Hong Kong? Well, so Hong Kong has two biggest impressions for me. The first is that it is overcrowded. Overcrowded. <laughs> yeah. So, and the pace of living is just so fast in Hong Kong. If you walk slower in Hong Kong, you get bumped, all right? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And number two is that space is extremely expensive in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is the most expensive city to live in the world on planet Earth, okay? So um, to get a very small apartment in Hong Kong. What do I mean by very small? Very small means 25 square meter. Right. That would cost you... Three million, okay, yeah. three to four million RMB. 
for three million, you can buy a villa in <laughs> in the countryside. Okay, so, <laughs> so that obviously is crazy. And um, for ten thousand, you could rent maybe a forty square meter apartment in Hong Kong. But now I'm living in a ten thousand monthly rent apartment, which yes. is a hundred square meters. So <laughs> obviously Shenzhen is the better choice for me. Yeah. Yes. Why would I pay ten thousand to live in a coffin in Hong Kong? Like that is no bigger than maybe a parking space <laughs> where I can enjoy a three-bedroom, two-toilet apartment in Shenzhen. It doesn't yeah. make sense, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why I decided to stay in China after I graduated. Yeah. Right. So is your dad a big influence on your studies and your your, your further career? Well, um, one thing that he did influence me about is obviously because、um, my dad was born in a village and he he was the poorest family in the village, and、right. the law changed his life. He went from a village boy to like the grassroots, the grassroots of the grassroots of society. Okay, from a Well,、um, I wouldn't say upper class. I would say、um, middle class at least, right? Middle class. So obviously, um, um, I wasn't I wasn't born in richest eaters. So my family also we we call it the sandwich class in Hong Kong. Right. We, we aren't rich enough to buy our own private property, but we are better than we're still better than let's say the grassroots who can't afford even、um, their Housing, so we could buy、um, for a cheaper price、um, government-owned property and for a let's say sixty percent discount. Okay, so we're we're the sandwich class. So, so to me, being、um, being in the legal industry, I can raise myself from at least the sandwich class to maybe the upper class one day. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. I did get influenced. Yeah, yeah <laughs>、so、being being a lawyer can definitely, you know, bring me from the sandwich class to at least the middle class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So you you finished high school, and then I do believe that you studied in is it Fudan? Fudan. Yeah, Fudan University. Yeah, Fudan University. So how how did that all come about? Did, why why did you choose this university? So what happened was when I was in grade twelve, and、um, there, so my school has two quarters for、um, Chinese universities in China. So、um, we had offers from Peking University, Tsinghua University,、mm. Uda, to the top three in China. So they gave us two quarters. Okay. So the headmaster of my school could recommend two students to go to study in these universities without、um, actually doing the college exams. So based on my high school、um, high school performance,、um, they would、mm-hmm. interview me and would decide whether to accept me or not with the headmaster recommendation. So I enrolled in this because、um, back then, so I always wanted to study out of Hong Kong because I did have a little bit of、um, I had the summer camp back when I was in grade eight, and I enjoyed、um, you know different cultures. And I really wanted to leave Hong Kong because I I believe that Hong Kong is not the future. So yes, the economy of Hong Kong has been deteriorating <laughs> over the past few years. But anyways, so I 
I told myself, I gotta get out of here, and I gotta see the world for myself, right? So, um, my family didn't have enough money for me to go to um, the UK or US or Australia or Canada. So China was the affordable option for me. China was the affordable option. So I chose China. And was the pressure, like being here now for five years, I've seen uh, a lot of the parents, when they get to that sort of high school part of their life, there's a lot of pressure from, from from the mother and father and maybe in other countries as well, but I, I see it more in China where there's so much pressure for the kids to study and get the best the best job, to get the best university. Um, what was your experience like? Did you have that same sort of pressure? You bet, mate. <laughs> you bet. So, yeah. to be honest, my, my childhood was not a happy one, so I didn't get much time to play computer games play yeah. friends, I didn't get the chance to um, pretty much have any entertainment at all, okay? So I had to, I slept only five to six hours per day. So I woke wow. up at um, 7.15 every day, went to school at 8, school ended at around 3 to 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I had extra curricular classes because everybody else was having these classes. So of course... I had to have them as well. So um, I had these classes until at least, um, I would say, 6 to 9 p.m., okay? so And when I got home, my mom had the cane in her hand and start revising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you will learn. Well, obviously, I was exhausted already, like from yeah, the yeah. whole days of um, school and classes. But yeah, I had to... You know, sit at the desk and start memorizing stuff. But my brain was not functioning already because yeah. I had been, it had been functioning for 12 hours straight. And, but that was, that's how the, that's how I lived 18 years of life. <laughs> Every day. The, 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 like you said, that's the normal. <clears throat> that is the norm. That is the norm. My Catholic school didn't really, they, they believe, well, their thinking is a bit like Hong Kong. So Hong Kong has a laissez-faire economy, right? The government doesn't really control the businesses. And my school doesn't actually really control the students. They don't get much homework. We only get like two or three pieces of homework per day. But the school knows that the parents will make you study hard. That's how we got into the school in the first place, because of the fierce parents. Yeah. yeah. And I can definitely see... I can definitely see... Uh, the uh, students the, and the people that have been outside of China that, that have like studied overseas because they come back with this whole different uh, mind frame and it's like, oh, we don't have to do that much study. We don't have to. Do, we're going to go out and you know have a good time. So so yeah, it's, I mean it's just different cultures, but um, yeah, I try and with, with the kids that I have, I'm trying really hard to sort of like. Just go out and have fun. <laughs> when I, you, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, to be honest, going to college does not necessarily equal success in life. So yes. I think happiness is the most important aspect in life. Yes. We can see, well, we have many famous billionaires, right, that dropped out of college and they still made a fortune. So, but of course, of course, going to college increases the success rates like yes. um, of getting a better job 
So and, obviously, but it oh, does not equal success. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like the whole uh, work worth ethic here is just unbelievable. Like they just want to work, 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 work. So, so speaking of that, that's the side of this clients who um, runs a printing factory in Dongguan. Okay. Yes. So for his employees are all willing to work overtime hours for more money, as long as you pay them enough. They're like, I want more hours. I want <laughs> to retire early. I'm willing to work 14 hours per day, as long as you pay me right. So that is the culture. Yeah. yeah. But there's, there's also something good to this, which is productivity, right? Yes, absolutely. And they're, if they're getting paid enough, why not, right? It is yeah. their choice. As long as they're okay with it, as long as they're not forced labor, it's totally okay. Yeah. Yes. And speaking of that, uh, what what do you do outside of work? Like, do you play an instrument? Do you... Yeah, I do. I do. I play the piano. Yeah, I play oh. some Chopin and Beethoven. Yeah. Excellent. And do you do that like on a weekend or at clubs, or do you just do that as a hobby? As a hobby. So yeah. I basically practice at least five hours per week. Five to seven hours. So I try, I try and squeeze at least half an hour to an hour every day after yeah. work. But yes. recently that hasn't happened because I've been flooded with work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I still squeeze at least two hours from the weekends, and I still take my piano classes uh, every fortnight. That's great. Yeah. All right. So you graduated from uh, Fudan University in law. Yep. And then where did you go from there? Like, what, what were your plans after you graduated? Did the, what was your focus to start your own business or, you know, what, what were your plans at that stage? I'm glad you asked this question. <laughs> okay. So after I graduated from college, I actually um, worked in a law firm first for uh, nearly one and a half years. It was a, one of the better law firms in Shanghai, one of the top three, I think. Top five, not really top three. So the pay was good. The pay was um, 20 something K per month, which was pretty good. And um, I worked as a trainee solicitor for um, a month, uh, sorry, a year before um, I got the actual license. So, but I didn't like the work. I hated it actually. Right. We had to work um, 12 hours per day and every Saturday. Oh. So although the pay that's fine. It's a very high pay compared to other graduates from yes. from other majors. So they're getting paid like eight thousand. Oh, I'm getting paid three times. <laughs> so the pay was awesome, but I did not have the time to spend it. So right work was really boring. I back then I specialized in um, property law, real estate law. So um, we had basically. Three big clients, three big clients, um, real estate tycoons. So they had plots and plots of land and shopping malls and whole blocks of buildings. So what we did was help them um, do due diligence on like they maybe they wanted to sell this building right, or buy a new building. So we had to do due diligence for them. Maybe they wanted to sell this whole shopping complex. Yes. Um, and I had to go through. 500 rental contracts per week. Wow. So what I did was, um, so I, well, the, uh, the, the, as I'm just a trainee solicitor, I didn't get my driver right. 
So I took a taxi with my colleagues. We each um, took like five five boxes of these contracts back to the office, and we unstapled them. We scanned them. We put in the most important, like how much is the rent, how big is the, how what is the square meters of the office, um, yes. and any special maybe rent free rent free months for them. Any special regulations? We put all these 500 contracts into an Excel. That was the job for a whole year. Right. So either we were um, doing this in the office, or we were sent to the client's office um, in a different city, maybe in Hangzhou, maybe in um, Guangxi, maybe Beijing, whatever. So the whole team of um, two lawyers, first-year lawyers, plus me, the trainee solicitor. We would go. I was the lowest ranking. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I did the most boring work. Well, well, well they did the um, a little bit more complicated work. So right. mowed through um, hundreds of contracts because we had to finish the project. We had to get it done before we flew back to Shanghai. So we were on a very tight time frame. So yeah. the pressure was great. Yeah. What did you learn from that experience? Hard work. Hard work. <laughs> Work 12 hours per day, and yeah. I'm still working 12 hours per day now, but I'm happy because, yeah. yeah, but I'm more happy now because I'm doing the work I love. So back then, I didn't get any chance to use English at all. Yeah, I didn't get any chance. So anyways, so after I finished the um, one year of training solicitor, um, actually got an offer from the real estate firm. They liked me because the real estate firm was a... Hong Kong was a Hong Kong-based real estate firm. They wanted me to be their in-house lawyer. So I did think about it. They offered quite a good salary. Then Chinese New Year came, and that was year 2020 when COVID first broke up. That was when COVID first broke up. So I, I took some time to consider the offer, and I went home to celebrate Chinese New Year, see my family, right? And COVID broke up. And I had to stay at home at that time. So as China was infected and Hong Kong was a safe harbor at that time. So I had no job at the time because I had left the law firm and, and I hadn't accepted the offer yet because nobody was there at work. <laughs> it was Chinese New Year and COVID. So I was at home, bored then. Okay. Maybe let's start blogging about some interesting, interesting law facts. And why not finish the project that I wanted to start? Um, mm. I had this project that um, I was going to write a law book on um, interesting legal facts um, targeted at Chinese. Why not use this time and write my book and blog about it at the same time? So that's what I did. So I finished. I, I stayed in Hong Kong for three months at that time. And um, I finished the book, finished two books actually at that time because I had nothing to do at all. <laughs> and I yeah, you said, yeah, it says here you're author of the uh, the Peking uh, University textbook for business ethics. Business ethics, yeah, and also two other Chinese books, which is IP about IP law and um, business law. Anyways, so that's an amazing achievement. Well done. Thanks. Well, thanks to COVID. <laughs> thanks to COVID, yeah. 
So you got to be yeah. see that that whole productive thing. You know, you can't you can't stop and watch TV. You got to be busy, busy, busy. It's drilled into you now. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I started blogging about the law, and well, COVID hit, and why not blog about you know getting paid during COVID? So I started blogging about that, and that went viral. I got like fifty thousand views in less than a week. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Then I started, I started thinking, this might be a market for me. So after I, so back then I, I didn't have my, um, cause as a lawyer, you gotta register your license under a law firm to be able to practice. So at that time, um, I couldn't do so because I had just taken it up from the Shanghai law firm and I had not planted it into a new law firm yet. So. So I just um, answered the questions for free, um, with no charge, and did that for a month, and I got famous for being the kind guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and everybody came came to me for labor law questions. So I was like, hmm, maybe maybe this will earn me a living. And so that's so I after in late March, in late March, I think early April, eighth March, I think. In middle of April, I think, 2020. So China announced that they would be closing their borders soon. So time to go back to China first. At least go to Shenzhen, right? Um, and figure out what to do. So I went back to Shenzhen because the Shanghai offices were still closed back then,、uh, and I couldn't get my new offer at a Shanghai law firm, another Shanghai law firm, or the real estate company either. So. I was like, no, we God knows when this thing is going to clear up. So why not、um, join a Shenzhen law firm first and see how it goes, right? As I did have a bit of savings, as I couldn't spend the money back then in China. <laughs> 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 I had a little bit of savings, so the savings will last me for at least half a year. So why not rent an apartment in Shenzhen and join a law firm in Shenzhen? So that's what I did. I joined.、Um, The law firm that I'm still in right now. So I rented a very small cubicle, which cost me、um, 600 yuan per month. Okay,、wow. I rented a small cubicle and started setting up my、um, starting started setting up my own clients and business. And from there, from a small cubicle, then I rented a room, a small room that cost me 4,000 RMB per month. Because、um, clients started、um, coming in, and so I rented a small room at the end of、um, 2020, and with no windows, with no windows, because、um, it was the cheapest room、um, available at that time. Right. Then from the small room, then to this room, which costs、um, double the price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I started hiring my own.、Um, I hired my first、um, lawyer. So I hired my own because I the cases were starting to stack up. I didn't have time to talk to new clients, so I was like,、mm, "It's time to have somebody、um, tackle the cases, or at least write the claims and prepare the evidence for me." Right. So I hired my first、um, lawyer to work for me. So I specifically chose somebody who majored in English as a bachelor's degree. Yeah.、Uh, so、this way, they could communicate with the clients. In a smooth manner. So, because at first I interviewed some 
um, warriors who graduated from war majors, and their English was terrible. Yeah. And so I said, hmm, why not change to English majors with a Master of Law degree? So I think these uh-huh. guys will be better. But of course, these guys are much more expensive, but it's worth the money. Yeah, and the clients are happy with them. So, <laughs> so I started hiring the first person, and after two months, I hired a trainee so- solicitor to help her as the cases were increasing. And then I hired a, th- a third lawyer, and then I hired a fourth trainee solicitor, and now I have four people working for me. <laughs> wow, that's great. Yeah. So that that brought you up to to now. You so you have five five staff. Um, four, four, four staff. Yeah, four four employees. Why the name? Law in a minute. Law in a minute, right? So, mm, at first the idea came from um, the Chinese book. So the Chinese book is called well, a very bad translation, but a literal translation is understanding the law in a second. In a second, so I played around with words, and and in my blog, most of the articles can be read. It's at first my articles were real short, like really, really, it could be read in a minute. So law in a minute, law in a minute. So, there you go. Yeah, my first articles were less than three hundred words, and I didn't put any legal basis. I just put the um, basically question and answer. Then. Then I started um, making them longer afterwards, yeah, because I wanted to explain more in an article. Yeah. yeah, right. That's so cool. The government doesn't really care about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's got to serve the foreign clients, right? And there That's are absolutely. many yeah. more firms in China that are doing the same. But just as they are targeting the um, conglomerates, maybe mm-hmm. um, like Walmart, Mercedes-Benz, you know, really top um, foreign companies, but I'm trying to um, target the middle to low end, like um, individuals and small medium enterprise, because they can't afford um, the real expensive um, yeah. legal service that the top law firm provides. But the other option for them would be to find a local Chinese lawyer who doesn't really speak English. So that's where well, I found this niche market. So let's let's talk about that, Edgar. I mean, like, uh, I, I think some people would be a little bit afraid to hire like a, a Chinese lawyer, a foreign person. So, what does it cost uh, to hire like like some, someone like yourself? I mean, people would just assume like, oh, well, it's too expensive. I I, I can't talk to Edgar. Well, that is a misunderstanding. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, that is totally a misunderstanding. So I charge pretty reasonable rates. I charge less than twenty thousand. For each lawsuit, and the reason why I can charge a medium rate instead of like, because if you go to a top law firm with Oxford graduates, they're gonna yeah. charge you at least fifty to eighty k per case, right? But why can I charge this reasonable rate? Is that I have a team to handle the cases. So since nearly a year ago, when I started having my first employee, I don't personally go to trial anymore. So I just send out my associates to tackle the lawsuits and that's how I control costs and, you know, make the, keep the legal costs low and affordable while still providing good service for foreigners in China and out of China. 
Can you remember your first? The version? first client, right? Yeah, yeah. first one? What was yeah. the first so, case? Well, um, the first client that ever paid me was a Ecuadorian and Swedish guy. So he had two passports, Ecuador and Sweden. So this guy owned a toy factory in Shanto, in Shanto. So he had a girlfriend in China, and of course he was rich because he owned a toy company. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he wanted to buy an apartment in China, in Shenzhen, in Longan, actually. And as you know, um, foreigners can buy apartments in China unless you meet certain strict regulations, like um, paying for the social insurance for uh, a X amount of years. So he was not eligible for buying, for getting a bank loan and, you know, buying property in Longan. So, but he had the money. He had the money. He wanted to buy it under his girlfriend's name, but actually own it. So he needed a good contract that was written in both Chinese and English because his girlfriend didn't read English that well. And he didn't read Chinese at all. So he read my article and he was like, okay, let's visit this guy and see. And let's see if he's good, right? And he liked me. And I scored my first contract back then for 6,000 RMB. That was the first deal. Yeah. Well done. Well done. <laughs> and then the only way is up. That's, that's great. I worked in a training center for uh, nearly two and a half years. And uh, I had some really good times. But it ended up going bankrupt. So I can see lots of people going to you and they were going bankrupt uh, after the pandemic. And have you had certain cases uh, with training centers? Uh, because yeah. they're, still, they're still happening now. But like, for example, my school that I worked with, we had 25 training centers in, in Shanghai. Now they have two. <laughs> so... I had to leave because they weren't paying me salary. So um, do you have an example of uh, a training center that you, you've... Many. Yeah. Many. Yeah, from, yeah. Like, from Shenzhen to Shanghai to Ningbo to Nanjing. Why, why, why is that, Edgar? The most obvious reason is the policy of the Chinese government. So right. they, they're hitting down hard on the real estate and the education industry. And the main reason behind doing this is because China is facing one big problem right now. And the problem is they're not enough babies in China. Nobody is willing to give birth. And, well, of course, there are many reasons for not willing to give birth. And the main reason is that um, it's too expensive. So... Why is it too expensive? The reason is because back then in China, the, China was having this overpopulation problem and they controlled it using the one-child policy. And parents only wanted to have boys because boys, I'm sorry to say, okay, boys have a higher <laughs> status than girls um, in traditional Chinese culture. And the main reason is because boys carry the surname of the family, okay? But girls, when they marry outside, they change their surname. Okay? That's the main reason. And number two is that boys, uh, in the past, um, when China was an agricultural society, how much money your family could make was really based on how many hands you have, right? 
Right. If you have like ten children and all farm the land, you can grow more rice, potatoes, crops, and your you can you know、um, build more houses and your family will be richer. But now obviously that is not the case, and it is really expensive to just raise a child in China just because of the fierce competition. So it is extremely, extremely difficult for、um, Chinese kids to go to top universities in China, like Peking University, Fudan, and Tsinghua. So you gotta be in top 100 of the province to get into these universities, and there are just so many people in China fighting for this. So that's the main reason, and the second reason is that. Just there's just too many boys in China because of the one-child policy,、right? <laughs> right. and、yeah. it is really hard for boys to find wives right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm single. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's even hard for me as well. Yeah, so it's a, obviously it's a big problem for males in China to find a partner, and even if they find a partner, it is difficult for them to、um, raise a child as it is just too expensive to. Because it's a vicious cycle. If you have a child, if it's a boy, you gotta spend so much money on his education. You gotta buy a flat for him to live in. Because you know, if you wanna have a wife in China, number one, you gotta have a house. Number two, you gotta have a car. Number three, you gotta have a nice job, a savings. Okay, three very important factors of finding a wife in China. So. That's the main reason behind this. So China is cracking down on the education industry to make education more affordable.、Um, they're, they're using the same path as Korea did, South Korea. So and they're also cracking down on the housing market to make housing more affordable and encouraging people to have more babies. So China will not、um, enter the same problem that Japan is now facing, and it、yes. is a huge, huge problem. Yeah.、Yes. The aging society problem, yeah. So, anyways, so that is the main reason why Chinese is slamming down on the training center industry, and、yes. also COVID as well. COVID is also、yes. a big issue. Well, rent is still paid, but there's no income, and how can businesses survive in China? It's really impossible. Yes, with the yes. government slamming on, slamming hard down on the industry and COVID. And you know all these quarantine regulations, and how difficult it is to get foreigners into China. You know, it's supply and demand. Yes. Difficult to get teachers into China means higher salary and higher expenses, right? That's right. And tuition fees. The economy in China is not that good. Obviously, the whole world is. We're in a bear market right now, so parents are not willing to spend that much on. Anything, buying a new house, new car, education for kids. So, teachers are so expensive, rent is so expensive, and that's why businesses have to close down, like from twenty centers to one only. And this has happened to even Wall Street English closed down. Yes, yes, and that is a multinational company. Yes. And finally, last one. You talked a little bit about it before. Contracts, especially、uh, Chinese contracts, are they for real? Like I, I see your blogs, and it's always like some sort of contract dispute, and 
uh, when the person, when the employee wants to leave or they don't get paid or something like that. So is there any sort of standout that, that you have, like a case that you have uh, with, with a contract? I mean, the last blog that you had was from Shenzhen, uh, a teacher in Shenzhen. Yeah, the Chinese culture is that the contract is a piece of paper. And it is just a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. So that is one of the, but it's a double standard. It's a piece of paper when you talk about it. But when I talk about it, it's the law. <laughs> the law, baby. Yeah. Yes. Um, in the contracts, there's always a contract breach penalty which is obviously invalid and illegal, so employers cannot find employees for leaving China. But employers will put that in the contract anyways, just to threaten you and say, hey, look, this is in the contract, so if you want to leave, pay me two months of your salary. So, but when it's the other way around, and like in the contract, maybe it says um, a habitable dormitory should be provided to employees but, hmm, maybe the cupboard is moldy, maybe there's mice in the apartment, and hey, in the contract it says there should be a good dormitory. Yes. How do we define good? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's livable, right? So that's good. So it's, yes. it's a double standard, unfortunately, in some of the cases. The first time I moved to China, it said like uh, accommodation provided, and we went from one place to another place to another place. <laughs> uh, we're in four, four apartments in, in one day. I'm going, what have I done? What have I done? Why am I here? <laughs> but it all, it, all, it all sort of worked out. Is there, is there one uh, case that stands out that was like really, really weird? Like, I've also noticed on here that you're talking about alcohol levels and how to buy a Benz with only 7,500. So you're not just uh, mentioning about uh, about the foreign people. Okay, I'm talking about the alcohol level. So that is oh, like, yeah. that's actually a real case, okay? Yeah. Hmm. It's a case that I took in Shenzhen. So. Well, not me personally. I gave it to one of my associates. So <clears throat> this... I changed the story a little bit. So the real story goes like this. So this expat was, he owns a car, okay? And he was out drinking in Coco Park, okay? Which is a, which is a nice place for drinks in Shenzhen. So, um, he's the, his name is on the car, okay? So he drove the car there with his male buddy and they had some, um, and they split up, okay? He went drinking with his girlfriend, the Chinese, guy, um, which is a roommate, he went um, chatting with his other friends, okay? So, after an hour, his Chinese friend told him, hey, I want to leave, I want to um, go somewhere else with um, this new girlfriend that I <laughs> just met, right, at the, at the club. So, he says, give me the car keys. Um, I'll, 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 I'll call a, um, I'll call a chauffeur, right, and, and get us home. So, this foreigner gave his Chinese friend the keys and forgot about the case, okay? Oh, no. Forgot about it. And, but that's okay. So around six hours later, he was uh, arrested by the police. He was arrested. So the police asked him, are you the owner of this car? Yes. 
the driver was caught um, drunk driving this car. So you are now an accomplice to the case because you guys went together to Coco Park and you knew that he was drunk and you still lent him in your car. So you're also liable because the car is yours and you lent it to him knowing that he was drunk. And now you're going to jail too. So that's a real case. Yeah. Wow. We fought it off. We fought it off. He didn't go to jail. Yeah. Well, we, 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 the case never even went to court. Oh, we wow. Off at the prosecutor's office. Yeah. Um, very yeah. good. What does the future hold for Edgar? I think the future is bright for Edgar. So I can see that little secret here is that I'm going to publish my English book on, you know, labor law. Um, probably Fantastic. next month. This month, yeah. I think it's going to be published this month or next month. So it's, I'm just deciding on the book cover right now, and I'm writing the prelude for the story. So for the book, so once that is done, it will be published, and, well, I think this will increase my fame and, you know, reputation as a lawyer who targets, I mean, who targets the expats market in China. And, I, and I'll go and have some, you know, book events, maybe some seminars, maybe some workshops in all of China. So I'm going to drive all over China and, you know, have some nice workshops and, you know, educate everybody about labor law. And I think this will double my, double my business. Yeah. And I can hire another four lawyers. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah for before sure. the end of the year, hopefully. Yeah. And tell us about your social medias and where can uh, our listeners con- get in contact with you? So um, I'll share with you my WeChat QR code, which okay. you guys can just scan and add my WeChat. It's pretty simple. And I do have WhatsApp as well. I'll also send it to Craig. And I have a Facebook page as well and an Instagram page. And the Facebook page and Instagram page is pretty simple. It's just law in a minute. Even my books are called Law in a Minute. So the book I'm going to publish is called Business Law in a Minute. And I'm actually writing another book. So I, I, I do it in bits every week and I write like three articles per week. But, and I think that the, the next one, the next, next one will also be published by the end of the year. It's called uh, 101 Questions and Answers, which is the top 100 questions that I guess, that I get asked every day. Because I get like at least a hundred messages per day from and at least twenty people add me every day. So yes. I so I know the most popular questions that everybody has. And why not compile this into a book? And yes. this will really be able to help people. Because these are the these will be the top FAQ of every foreigner in China. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. All right, just before we go, uh, yeah. I'll just ask some quick questions and uh, you give me your top two or three favorite as of today, uh, different subjects. Are you ready, Edgar? Bring it on. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Edgar, tell me your top two or three favorite musicians. Musicians. Okay. Chopin and Beethoven. Okay. And Queen. I actually like Queen quite a lot. Oh, like, very nice. Nice rock. Yeah. Rock. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Alright. And a sporting. Tell me your two or two or three top favorite sporting teams. I don't actually watch 
any kind of sports. So this right. is, but I can tell you my top three favorite sports. Okay. Yeah, snowboarding, um, scuba diving, and um, swimming. Yeah. Actually, wakeboarding, wakeboarding. Tell me two or three places internationally that you've been to, and then two or three places that you'd like to go to in the future. I, I've been to Italy. I've been to um, the US. I've been to Egypt, actually. <laughs> wow. Actually yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And wh- where do you want to go to in the future? I would like to visit um, Iceland. Iceland to see, you know, the lights and that kind of stuff. That's pretty cool. Um, like what about what about <laughs> Australia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would like to go scuba diving there. Scuba yeah, diving. Great Barrier Reef. Yeah, and definitely Peru because I want to see the Mayan culture. Yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And final question: Who is your greatest inspiration or hero, and why? I would say Chaibovsky. Chaibovsky. Chaibovsky was also a lawyer. Okay? Yes. Um, his parents forced him into the legal business. But later on, he found enjoyment in music and he composed ah. so many beautiful pieces. I'm so, I actually watched the ballet in um, Russia, in Moscow. And wow. Really, I still remember the ballet. It was just so good. Like, we don't get this in. Shenzhen, you know, and it's really something that I would like to see in Shenzhen, but we don't get it here. There's no such culture here, and it really, yeah, it just saddens me, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would like to watch the Nutcracker and the oh. Lake, you know. It's yeah. just a beautiful piece of music. I don't really have to be a lawyer the rest of my life. I want to, once I have enough capital, I would like to do something that I really like, like, Playing the piano, yeah, yeah, maybe a famous pianist, yeah, and it's so popular too here in in Shanghai as well. Like they're crazy about their music, uh, not just classical, but there's uh, like any sort of music. Uh, they really, really push it, and there's a lot of places that you can play uh, music, which I really, really like about uh, Shanghai and China. Edgar, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Great to have somebody on our side, <laughs> uh, you know, fight, fighting for uh, someone, you know, because when a foreigner comes to China for the first time, it's difficult. It's just like any any other country. If you go to a foreign foreign place for the first time, it's always difficult, and some people might take advantage of, of that. So. And they just go along with the flow. They just want make people happy. And yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad what you're doing and uh, you're helping a lot of people. And even some of my friends, uh, that, that's how I got in contact with you. Like uh, you are the lawyer for some of my friends. So all the best. Make sure the listeners that you uh, go and check out his website. And if you're in China at the moment, please get in contact with him because he'll sort you out and he'll generally win. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Thanks, Edgar. Thank you for your time. Alrighty. Okay. See ya. Bye.